Hello, and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I am your host, Scott Brady, and I'm here with my co-host, Matt Scott. How's going, it going on, Matt? guys? It's going. Yeah, how's Overland Expo treating you so far? I'm slightly sunburned because I'm slightly ginger. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm. T- I have two. Gin- <laughs> I have two gingers of the van. The He's more right ginger now. than I am. And I'd like to. On that note, we're going to introduce uh, uh, our guest for today, Clay Croft from Expedition Overland. Thanks for being with us, Clay. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, this is going to be awesome, man. We're, we we uh, we've been enjoying a couple days at Overland Expo, which is always a time to pull together people in the mm. community. Uh, pull together the folks that have really made a difference for this for this industry, uh, and you are one of those people, Clay. Um, mm. You have had a, a very successful career um, in and out of overlanding, uh, but in the overland space, Expedition Overland is the authority on the video side. Uh, you guys have inspired tens of thousands, if not millions, of people uh, through your through your videos that you have on YouTube and on Amazon. Um, what inspired you to do this? What made you decide that? I'm going to go from filming TV production and doing long, uh, long uh, form films to producing X Overland. What was that inspiration for you? Yeah, for me, well, cinematography for one is a feast or famine type of job, especially when you're getting started. You work really hard hours for uh, the ability to get a job and hopefully feed your family for a little while. And I just come out of a good run. And then the economy hit pretty hard in Montana. And then after it hit there, all my jobs fell through. And I just got, I reached this point where I was like, I, I can either continue to look for other work and work for other people, or I can, maybe this is the point where I should step out and go for it. And what else do I have to lose? Because I didn't really see any really great future in front of me at the time. Like it was going to be a slog to go get more work. And it just seemed like it's a slog either way. Let's figure out how to. Might as well work for yourself. Might as well work for, for myself. Yourself. Yeah. Well, and that's interesting because all three of us in that van, in this van, have have taken that journey uh, of working for others, mm-hmm. uh, and then finding that moment in time to work for ourselves. Um, Matt's now importing Max Tracks and doing very well with that, and other products. Mm-hmm. Um, X Overland has been very successful, and I feel fortunate to produce the magazine website that I do. Uh, but that's such an interesting thing. And it's, it's something that we see often in the overland space we see, and it doesn't, it, it makes sense, right? Because yeah. uh, it requires a certain degree of entrepreneurship, even just mm-hmm. to decide to go travel to Ushuaia, you have to be willing mm-hmm. to take some risk. You have to mm-hmm. be interested in new frontiers or new ideas. Um, and it, that is certainly the case for someone who wants to start their own business. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've known you for a long time, Clay, and you've, had this ability to maintain um, some degree of focus and mindset towards your family as well. You have three boys. Um, you have a great an, kids. A, you have your great kids, an amazing wife that also does her own adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about how you're mindful of your family. What what has that dynamic enter it? Because Matt and I, neither of us have kids, um, so it'd be great to hear how you meld mm. young ones, a family with travel and and the production that you do. Well, I will start off by saying it is not easy. This is really hard. Uh, and we have not done it perfectly, maybe ever. But we really work hard and have a, a mindset towards making it the best we can with the circumstances that we are in. Um, entrepreneurship takes tons of time and effort and late nights. And doing that inside the overlanding space requires you to travel when the jobs hit good, you know, hit big and leave. Um, so what we have done, we've done two things. We, Shelly and I proactively went to counseling probably starting almost five years ago. And for a time, at the time she was going through, uh, she was doing the XLs racing and she had, uh, you, the, you are loved campaign. It was bringing up, um, just awareness towards sexual abuse that she had gone through. And was bringing awareness to that. And so that going, bringing up things like that inside of a marriage is pretty intense. Mm. And so we said, okay, we want to do this. We want other people to have freedom from these things, but we better make sure that we have our ducks in a row before, as we step through this. So we, we sought out a counselor and his name's Mark. And we've been seeing Mark now for five years, sometimes once a week, sometimes it's three months apart. But uh, we proactively pursued our marriage 
first so that we could hopefully help other people. And then when it came to the kids, we decided that we're going to going to be gone a lot. That's just the reality of what we do. And if we can make the time that we do have really intentional, that it'll be okay. My dad was a truck driver and he was gone over the road trucking all the time for years. And he made his time with us intentional. And I can look back on my childhood and I can say, I had a really great relationship with my dad. Uh, he wasn't there every day doing all that stuff, but the time I did have with him was awesome. And I have no, I wouldn't change anything about my childhood. So I just want to relay that to my kids too. Thankfully I, I had a I good can, example. I can see that when, when I'm with you in Montana, I can see how you, how you are intentional to want them to experience life. You want them mm-hmm. to develop those skills. I mean, what are some of the things that you've taught your boys that you're so glad you show, you expose them to? That we teach all of our boys to be leaders right off the bat. Yeah. I think a lot of parents can pick out one of their kids and say, you're a leader. And we try to make all of our children, you know, they'll be leaders in something. So we try to encourage them there and then try to encourage them in the way of teamwork that they are a team and uh, instead of brothers. And that, that seems to be effective. Mm. Um, and then instill in them that adventure is good. Mistakes are good. And if you're not failing, then you're not, you know, pushing not hard enough. Yeah. yeah. Failure is okay. Yeah. This year we got the motorcycles. We got some dirt bikes and they've been failing. We were talking about this uh, just last week, how good it's been for the kids to like put them in something it's scary. Make them go do some stuff. And yeah. And I think that's been good for them. You know, hearing you say that, play it, I, I can see how you've had those same parallels in your own life. The team that you've pulled together, how you try to have everyone that's involved with XO uh, be a leader in their own right. Mm-hmm. How you have stretched yourselves and your organization. Um, tell us a little bit about how you selected that have been in your most recent um, series of, of EXO. I mean, Kurt Williams obviously comes yep. to mind. Amazing guy. Yep. A friend to, to all of us, friend to the industry. Uh, Kurt runs Cruiser Outfitters in Salt Lake City. But talk a little bit about what do you do to bring together a team of people? Because we can all see it in your production in video mm-hmm. on YouTube and on Amazon that um, you guys are a team. It doesn't mean you don't have challenges or difficulties, sure. but... How do you, how do you address that as a group? Yeah. When you guys portray team, you know, being a team on, on that show, like it's, it comes across. Yeah. Well, thank you. And that's, that, that feels good because we do work towards that. Um, in the last three years, we've had a lot of changeover with our team. The original team was easy. There were guys that I knew for a long time and I just knew who they were and I just, you know, when you know guys for a long time, you, you understand where they're going to fit and where they aren't. And so I just had a great pool of folks to, you know, to pull into the team. Um, as we got six or seven years into Expedition Overland, that XO is a, a high demand. And we started to lose people. And then marriage, Jeff yeah. and Heather got married, you know, through XO or part of being in XO and they, they moved out of town and things like that. So we really got to this point where we had to like really start selecting new team members. And when I look at what I've had to do in the last three years and what I've managed with teams, it really boils down to first maturity. You have to express a certain amount of maturity right off the bat. Uh, and that is a priority over any skill set. If you a, can teach people. You, you, Exactly. But you can't, maturity takes time. That's a slow cook, you know? And, uh, so if they, at least if, if, and, and one of the best indicators of that is teachability and the ability to listen, even though they may know the answer or whatnot, but they're there and say, yes, tell me more. I, I may not know everything. I want to know what you know. You get the guy in there that's, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's probably the wrong guy, you know? So we've scoured and uh, frankly, some of it has just been, I wouldn't say luck. It's, it's nurturing relationships that have been around for a long time. Some like Brian and Megan that came in this year, college. You know, we're talking how long ago was college, 2001. So we're talking 18 years since I've really hung out with Brian and Megan. But I knew that from 
way back when and keeping in contact that they were a, an awesome group of a uh, couple to bring in. So some of this stuff it just takes 20 years to figure out or bring in. <clears throat> and I find when, when I try to pull together a team, like what we experienced with expedition seven, um, one thing I really look at is emotional countenance, right? Is the mm. person able to, yeah. to be kind and consistent? Mm-hmm. Like, are they able to maintain their humanity even when things start to go sideways? Because I find that people who have very weak emotional countenance, they tend to do very poorly in team endeavors anyways. They're easily frustrated. Easily frustrated. And that can blow up in a border. They can have a tantrum because uh, there's some issue with a document. And that can easily escalate the issue or start that cascade of events we talk about where that one small emotional blow up then results in someone ending up in prison. Yeah, at the yeah. other end of it, um, Matt, what are some things that you've seen in your travel? Like, what's what do you look for in, in people that you travel with? I think people have to be self-aware. That's that's my biggest thing, honestly. Okay. Um, people need to be able to admit that they're wrong. Yeah, you know. But it, I mean, I'm, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't stand up for when you're right, because all by all means you should. But you know, being able to to admit, hey, you know the reason the vehicle failed was because of me. The reason we missed this border was because of me. The reason that, you know, we're stuck in this, you know, swamp at two in the morning when, you know, your significant other told you not to go, that go through that way. <laughs> it's, it's because of you. And I, and I think, I think that that has parallels through so many things through business, through personal relationships. I look at, I look at the people I'm close with, people I work with, the people that I've assembled a team with and, and and they're self aware. They, I, I think it's important to know your strengths as much as it is to know your weaknesses. And that sounds like that parallels with this teachability idea. Someone who has self awareness, they're willing to be teach, teachable. They're willing, even if they think they know the answer, to listen to people someone that ask questions. Are good. Yeah, absolutely. you know, like that was drilled into you know that was drilled into me at a young age is ask questions, and if and if you if you're around people who are not willing to take the time to answer the question, you probably shouldn't, they, they don't care about you. Right. Like, yeah, you know, time, time is very finite and, um, you know, again, being self-aware enough to, to not waste time, but, uh, to, to recognize the value of others time and to, to be realistic. There's another side to that too. What, when I'm asking and interviewing for, uh, team members, I'll ask a series of questions. And one of them is, uh, what are your strengths, obviously? And people love to tell you their strengths, but the the guys that are really self-aware know their weaknesses too. And they will admit their weaknesses. I have a hard time here and here and here. So uh, if you got a guy that can be able to do that, that guy will excel quickly inside of a team because we've all heard it before your weaknesses are as important as your strengths and understanding them. You get a lot of teams that show up and everyone knows what they're good at, but no one doesn't, nobody knows what the other guy isn't good at. So that, that sets up a big learning curve. And if you can find out what that is right away and a person's able to express their weakness, your team just hit another level way much, much sooner than that may take a long time in the field to sort out. Yeah, so true. And and what I found is that the, the more quickly you can get to that point you just described, uh, the more effective the team will be under duress uh, when something really goes sideways. I mean, Clay, you and I have had the chance to travel some very cool places together, including crossing Greenland and crossing Russia. Um, and in both of those scenarios, we encountered times that were um, we were concerned for our safety in some way or another. Maybe it was a crevasse zone we were traveling through or or maybe it was because we really did a head on with a Russian driver coming the other mm-hmm. direction. Um, but it does definitely quickly tell you the quality of character that people you're traveling with once things start to not go well. Um, and that's how you know who you want to travel with in the future. Um, and it's really a good idea to start off with a shorter trip, start off with yeah. something simple and <laughs> Do see something how these, small first, yeah. see how people really fit. Um, and, you know, that kind of brings up the next question for me, Clay. Um, you have definitely been, uh, if not a virtual, of an actual mentor to many people in the industry. Um, when people watch your videos, they, I often hear them talk about such a 
such a good dad or he, he's a, he's a good leader or he's really he's this team really communicates well together um tell me tell me what started that for you i mean what brought about because i consider you a, a man of character what what really brought that about for you what are some of the things that happened earlier in your life or the people that were your mentor um or mentors that really brought that about what were some of those stones to that um i would say when i was young my family raised a was part of a big ranch in montana scott ranch and growing up with cowboys there is a whole lot of code inside being a cowboy and my dad was a cowboy my mom grew up you know in a in a very intense cowboy world and they have a lot of values that they poured on us and so i think that's the first thing. The next thing is uh, my dad ran his own business being a truck driver and I would go with him and I saw him interact on the road with clients and he would teach me a lot of stuff. This is, this is what I'm doing. This is why, this is why I said that because I'm afraid of this, you know? So I want to make sure they feel these things, you know, um, all, all from a very genuine place. So there's that. And then um, obviously for me, you know, growing up in the, Christian church was a big part of morality and, you know, under, you know, what I have as values and I still hold on to those very strongly today. It's made you a wonderful person. No, thank you. That's for sure. You and your whole family. Yeah. And then when it came to leadership, um, the national outdoor leadership school, I did a Knowles class, uh, the year I graduated 2001 high school, I'm 37 now. And I went into the backcountry for mountaineering school and it was half mountaineering and half leadership. And we learned how we ticked right there. And by the time I walked out of that school, 30 days later, I had a general understanding of what I was good at and what I wasn't because they flush it out of you, you know, and then they make you start to work through it. So I really think that that's probably the best thing I ever did. I did school and I did college and some of that. I didn't ever graduate, but the best money and time I ever spent was the National Outdoor Leadership School. Well, that's great advice for sure. And kind of along that same line of giving people advice, um, I know a lot of people listening will have their own aspirations of being mm-hmm. cinematographers or their own aspirations of documenting their own adventures. Um, what are a couple tips that you can give people as, I mean, watching you work in, in Greenland with a single camera and, and the the quality of the output that you did at the other end of it was unbelievable. Uh, what would you recommend people start with? Maybe a few equipment tips and some other ideas to help people better capture their own journey. Sure. Well, to start off, you need to be your own man. If if you're looking to do something that someone else has already done and you want to do that too, it's already probably a dead end. You need to find a way to be your own man and do those whatever project it is on your own. It, we can take adapt adaptations, of course, but that, that to me is like the, the first start to something that will be successful. Uh, from there, we can get into the nitty gritties of camera work. But for me, when I approach a scene and I approach movie making, I try to see it from three levels. Well, four, the 30,000 foot level, and then work your way in the wide shot, the medium shot, tight shot. The wide shot is all the details. The medium shot is the meat and the details is what makes it savory. So you work your way into a scene starting that way. And then you work your way back out. And if you can see where those transition points are, this is, you have to be able to flip your brain all the time. I'm in the middle of the details, but I'm using my ears right now to what's happening around me. I need to be able to zip out to a 30,000 foot level real quick and recognize when I need to start filming a transition to whatever's about to happen next. Um, and that's kind of the skill set that I've been working on trying to perfect over well, as long as I've been doing it. Um, equipment choice. I had this guy, uh, Andrew was his name. I can't remember his last name. He came in uh, when I was just starting X- XO. And he does a photography for us. He was working for Exofficio at the time. And I asked him a very similar question. And I said, you know, what do you, what would you recommend for me as a young photographer trying to go do all this stuff? And he said, 
uh, don't get caught up in the gear. Mm. Uh, the tool is between your ears and, uh, you can run yourself out of money and go broke quick trying to keep up with the equipment. It's not what's necessary. So I have taken that to heart and it took a long time to go to 4k and it took, you know, but I have recognized that there are some tools that are essential to have to give, keep an edge. And right now I'm kind of at a loss with that new tool is it was drones for a while. We invested heavily in those to tell stories and things like that. And everybody's got them now. So I'm still looking for that next thing, but that's where I would invest in equipment. It's whatever that next thing is uh, that gives you a real edge, not just the fad. There's a lot of fads that come and go. Like since we started EXO, how many different transition fads have you how, seen? How many you? slider shots can we yeah, see on yeah, YouTube Yeah, and now? it started, and I'm, I've fallen trapped to all of it too. The slow-mo stuff, the slider stuff, the, but at the, still we're making current films that need to be relevant. Yeah, currently. yeah, of course. But yet you're still looking for that long-term piece. And really it's going to be in the skill set. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be in the equipment. So speaking of a, of a long-term piece, tell us a little bit about the Greenland film. What's, what's happening with that? Yeah. Greenland film is what an interesting project that was because I went into it. When I talked to Greg, when we're all talking about going to Greenland, he, when he asked me to go, I said, yeah, I would love to go, but if I'm going to be gone for a month, I need to be able to do something with Expedition Overland. And he said, absolutely. So my intention was to go in there and shoot a couple of episodes for Overlander. And then when we got there, I mean, it was apparent the very second that we arrived that this is something so much bigger. And I started just filming it the best I could under the circumstances that we were all going through and um, went through the systems that I knew from doing Expedition Overland and came out with a, a lot of material, not as much material as I wish I had done that better. Had I known I was going to make a movie at the time, I would have shot a couple different things. Maybe I would have pushed a little harder, uh, but it worked out. And but anyway, we got home, started going through this footage. I was like, man, this has got to be something more. This is a bigger story. This is the biggest thing I've been a part of. This is the biggest thing that I think a lot of these other guys have been a part of. And I think the world would need to see this in a more meaningful way than what we're doing right now. And the only way to do that is to put it into a movie format and uh, give it the credibility that it deserved. So I went and approached Greg on it and I worked for two months on an edit to on our own dime and everything to, to get him up. And I convinced him to come up to Bozeman. He drove up in his Land Cruiser one day and I said, this is what we want to do. This is what it looks like. Here's the rough cut of like a very, and it was like two and a half hours long at the time. And he sat at the end of it. He's like, we're doing this. And that kicked it off. And for nine months, I cut on that film to get it to where it was then. We did interviews and all kinds of, it, it grew and became something bigger. And it was, it was a, a wonderful project. Yeah. I can't wait for people to see it. Uh, currently, it has been uh, submitted to the Sundance Film Festival uh, just about a month ago. And we wait until December 6th of 19 here to find out what happens. And if it doesn't, if it gets in, awesome. If it doesn't, we're going to keep moving it through other festivals. And eventually it'll be out there so that the world can see it. Oh, that's exciting, man. That's, that's it is. It was it's a dream come true. You know, it, it, it checked, uh, it started. I don't want to say it checked the box because I think it started a new chapter for me to do a project that, was a hundred percent to my best of my abilities within all the means I could find, you know, that was really fun. And it couldn't have been easy because it was just you filming. Yeah. And 30 days on the ice, uh, 21 days, 21 on days on the ice. Yeah. And, uh, <sighs> had a lot of problems, you know, so many problems. There was, you know, all the equipment problems, but then my microphone died my main microphone quit working half right when we got, you know, into the North part of Wolfland, my main mic quit. So I had the whole, not many people know this, but like the last half of that movie, the last third is recorded off the internal microphone on a seven R Mark three. That little teeny microphone thing is what recorded all. And it turned out pretty dang good. Yeah. Well, and you have to deal with the frostbite. I mean, I remember by, the middle of the trip, I completely lost feeling in my middle finger on my left hand. 
Yeah. Like this was Damn. not an easy trip no. for you guys. No, no, no. And even to this day, like knowing what I know now, if you asked me to go back and do it again, the answer is yes. <laughs> I need to drag you guys someplace warm. <laughs> yeah, we do need to go someplace, yeah. someplace tropical. Vietnam with scooters and 25 cent beers. <laughs> I think that actually came up at some point in the trip. We were talking about yeah. doing 50cc scooters somewhere. Yeah, so yeah. So let's do something <laughs> flip, different. flip flops. Yeah. yeah. It took me a while to recover from that. I, I, I when you were burned it. out for, I don't want to use the word burned well, out, it's, but it's the right word. Yeah. It was burned out for a while. 2019, 20, last half of 18 and into 19 here. It's been a tough year. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, and I mean, I guess for everybody that doesn't know, I mean, you guys were the first team to do a North South crossing of Greenland. I mean, this is, mm-hmm. is that, is that yeah, South, correct? South, yeah. South to the been, North, South to the North in vehicles. Like, most of the way back. When you guys were at like abandoned, like U S military facilities we from were. the cold war that yep. I remember Scott, you're saying there's like still milk in the, the cupboards or, or yeah. that, that, that sort of thing. Yeah, I there's mean, beer in the bar. It's unbelievable. Like, like this, this wasn't, this was a legitimate, expedition you know i think that the 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 term gets thrown around quite a bit these days but this was i mean you you had to have medical staff with you because if you messed up you know it's not like you had a long walk home you you were done you were done yeah we had a an er doctor by the name of john solberg along with us and we needed to because we were essentially in these areas of inaccessibility where you could not get a rescue helicopter in easily yeah um to pick us up. So John would have to stabilize or maybe even deal with an emergency appendectomy um, in the middle of the Greenland ice sheet. He learned, he like read up on how to do, you know, remove an appendix <laughs> before he left. Which was it an appendix in, in, in Australia for Bruce? It was an appendix. Yeah. So, so earlier on Expedition 7, that was almost a thing. It actually yeah, so, it was almost There's a thing. two things I worry about. On the about. canning stock route. It's my appendix and teeth. You know, if any of those two things go down, man, oh, it's going to be horrible. It can be horrible. Yeah, teeth can be debilitating. Yeah. It's amazing. And that's definitely something for the listeners to be mindful of is when you plan a big trip, go to the dentist before you go. Get all of that sorted out before you leave because, yeah, teeth can literally bring you down or, you know, get you really sick too if you have an infection. So the good thing is you can pull them out if it gets real bad. Can't do that necessarily with your appendix. Not as easily. Not as easily. He's so, got, so Scott, I got this pocket knife. So when we were help? talking about, you know, camera gear and you said yeah. you know, your advice was don't get caught up in the gear. Um, do you think sometimes people in this industry have a tendency to get caught up in the gear and, and, and not the travel? That is you a know? loaded question. Oh, it is. It is a loaded question, but that's why we're here is to ask <laughs> the real things. <laughs> yes. And yeah. I'm guilty of it too. We all are. Yeah. We all are. Yeah. Science, shiny object. Yeah. And here's the deal. I've really pulled back in some ways. I don't know. Ask me tomorrow. It'll be a different answer, but the gear is a lot of part of the fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big part of the fun. It enables the adventure. Yeah. And as I've gone through the different cycles of adventure and going on trips and then not being able to go on trips, you know, and I've kind of evaluated myself, the gear can help you get the selection of gear and the picking of this and buying it. You have to have good gear. It can, it can help you get through the, the dry time. You know, and then you get on the adventure and you realize, okay, a lot of the stuff I didn't need, you know, but it's there. It's just a part of the process. And I don't know if we'll ever eliminate it. I think you just need to be I don't think, I, I think it should, I mean, it's not a problem and, and, and maybe I should backtrack there. I don't think there's a problem. I just think, you know, where there what, is what's a your, problem. What's, what's, what's your advice for getting people out on the road? I mean, I mean, how do you think you can, I mean, other than dedicating your life to making a, you know, a, yeah. a series that it, uh, you know, influences adventure, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's that small thing that you've yeah. done. I mean, what's, sure. what's your advice to take somebody that is, you know, like your, your average person, uh, three kids like yourself married, you know, has a nice life, ha- has, has, you know, probably the financial ability to do these things, but may not have the, I'm going to use the term emotional ability. I mean, it, it, it takes a lot to, to, to do a 180 in your life, you know? Oh, yeah. And, and you did that 180 in a, in a, in a, in a big way. I mean, you, you, you jumped off in, into the deep end. You, you did the traveling and, and the, you know, turn that into your career as mm-hmm. well. But for a guy that wants to get out, what, what, what do you tell him? Yeah. Uh, 
it's that classic take small steps, baby steps with a big yeah. picture in mind. You can work, you can become, I think you can become an established or an experienced explorer over time without ever going on a big trip. Eventually you have to. Yeah. I mean, that's, but you can get, what I'm saying is you can get a lot of the skill sets in small steps, small trips. And you, if you focus on this right now, I'm focusing on fuel management on this one. This one's uh, maybe mechanical stuff. This one's food preparation. This one's et cetera. And you're doing this over micro adventures. Eventually you are building the toolbox that you need to execute a big one. Then eventually you're going to have to jump and go do something big and put it all to the test. Uh, and that's really fun, but you can have these micro adventures along the way and put it together. And uh, I've always taken Scott's advice when it comes to, and what I tell people, and I give you credit for this is your truck's finished when you've taken the last piece of kit off of it, you know, that you don't need. If you need it, you need it. Sure. Uh, and so I backtrack, I backfill that with, if you're building your trucks and you're going on these adventures, make those purchases for that vehicle based out of a need from your micro experience trips that you've actually seen a need for this, not just something that you want. And, and, and I you'll think go a lot further faster. I think what's so cool is it, it, it is, is if you follow along through the history and you, and you watch X Overland. I mean, that's almost exactly what you did. I mean, I remember when you guys were in Moab with the, the hundred series and the, was it a first gen taco? Yep. Or was it a second gen no, taco? For, um, it was 2001. So that would have been a second gen. Yeah. First gen. It's first gen. Tacoma people, please don't hate us. It's all right. <laughs> it's about the adventure. Or, or, or in my case, uh, please take a number. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I think from my perspective, um, the industry needs to take responsibility um, for encouraging people to not overwork. Yeah. Um, and that starts um, at the manufacturer level and it goes down to the upfitters and it includes the media. Um, you know, I think that modifications can be, they can enhance your trip as long as you do it with that intention in mind. Um, I just want, I want people to be excited about sharing their trip story more short, more so than sharing a picture of their vehicle, to yeah. somebody else. Um, when that mindset starts to shift and people talk more about where they've been um, than what they talk about, what they've yeah. done with their vehicle, then I think that things are in balance and you can always tell um, when you talk, when I talk to someone here at Overland Expo, the more they talk about the truck, the more I know they haven't traveled because they haven't made that shift yet. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think about, Matt, the trips that you've done on 50cc motorcycles in Vietnam, those are some of your best adventures. Totally. And there wasn't, there wasn't a winch in sight. Um, and it's just, I think that obviously equipment can enable things like what we did in Greenland would have been impossible yeah. without extensive modifications to those trucks. That is the reason to do it is because mm -hmm. it's the only way you're going to achieve your goal. Um, but I think, I think what I shared even today in a class at Overland Expo was um, if you're spending more money on the truck than you are on travel, flip the script and start yeah. to spend more money on your trips than you yeah. do on the truck. Yeah. And I think it's fair to say, I mean, there are a lot of equipment is very, very useful, right? You just don't want to be the guy that has so much equipment. I mean, if you, if you are truly a traveler, you know, yeah, flip, flip the switch. I mean, I, you can take a Subaru Crosstrek around the world. I mean, people do every day. Absolutely. I mean, yep. I, I've been to some very, very random places. And here I am on 37s or with my crazy suspension or something. And a local family passes, you know, passes me the other way. And, uh, and, and, and a Corolla, I mean, the, the rule is there will always be a Corolla or a scooter or something. And, um, rental car. Yeah. You'll be humbled. You'll be totally humbled. I mean, I, I remember crossing parts of Colombia um, in towards the Venezuelan border and I was on a GS and I was working hard. Mm. And I was adventuring to the max. Here comes two local dudes, two up on a 50 cc motorcycle. They just they blew by me like like they were the winning the Dakar, <laughs> <laughs> and they were two up, and they were just heading to their ranch or whatever yeah. they were doing. So yeah. I just every think, day, yeah, it's just so important that we maintain that perspective yep. of of um, add the modifications that you need to, but make the focus to be to get out and travel. And that and that brings up my next question, which is you're embarking on some new adventures. You just started taking up powered paragliding. Um, and 
maybe did, did you do it because you felt like a rookie all over again? I absolutely did it for that. Well, I've always wanted to fly, but there's just something about being challenged. And that's what overlanding when I first began was a big challenge for me. I eventually learned a lot of the systems and was able to go on really amazing trips and, and get comfortable with it. And that's once you get comfortable, what's the saying? You get comfortable, you're dying or something. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, yeah, you're either growing or you're, yeah. or right. I recognize I was in that spot. And some people have said, oh, you did it just to elevate the show. No, I would have done it regardless. Uh, I just wanted to challenge myself. And flight's been a big deal for me. I, I, I went to get a private pilot's license, but I was shut down due to a class three medical at the time. This is a few years ago. And I just never was able to get back to, to, to training and stuff. I had a narrow window there. This was something that I could do. This is something I could step into. 10 days of training. The cost is fairly low, but I could go and get it and start having that experience. And uh, it's been refreshing because there's not a whole lot you can do to a powered paraglider. You can't modify that thing. The heavier it gets, the worse it mm. gets. So there's not much to do to no it. You just need to go. <laughs> and yeah, there's no light bars yet on my powered paraglider. We'll work on the max. Yeah, we're working on that. So that has been what it is for me. It's an experience-driven thing that I've been able to incorporate into another experience-driven thing. Of overlanding. And have you started to film some of that? Is that something we're going to see soon? Yeah. We have filmed seven episodes. Uh, we were going to break it into two series, but I got into the edit and I was like, this is all one big story and I need to tell it that way. So we're seven episodes in. We've uh, filmed of our nine part series that we're shooting this year. And I do have two more episodes to film from Utah down into Mexico coming up. And it should be good. We've been getting our butts kicked. It's been hard and it's been good. And where can people find that content right now? Yeah. Uh, that content will be released on YouTube on our Expedition Overland channel. Follow our social stuff too for the updates as it gets closer. And then um, I'm hoping that later next year I can find a way to get it also on Amazon Prime. Just like our previous three yeah, seasons. Yeah, because you're on Amazon that. Prime now. We are. We are. That's, That's been a, that was a big deal. Overlanding has gone prime time. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It Very was cool. a big dream. Uh, we've always built our content to thrive on the big screen. And YouTube was the platform that allowed it at the time. When we started on YouTube, it only allowed 10 minute videos. I remember it was, remember it was a deal that you had to have so many followers until you could have yeah. a video above 10 minutes. And that yeah. was a struggle. And that was first. a struggle at first. And you had to, you know, we've gone through it, but it was always built for the big screen. It was yeah. built for bigger platforms. Cause that's the, that's the field I want to play on. So eventually we got there. Just took nine years. Oh, that's amazing though. That's so what's, what has been your f most favorite vehicle you've ever owned? Ooh. Also that a loaded is a, question. That is a hard I question. I, know that. I think right now it's, I'm a Tacoma guy. I am a Tacoma guy. I do really like that X3 Meridian with the habitat on the back. Love that. Not the 60? The 62 series. That is like, that's like your, your baby. Soul. It's your soul. <laughs> yeah. It's got soul to it, you know, and I haven't driven that in over a year. It's I'm, I'm that's parked and put away. And cause I can't, I can't give it the attention it deserves, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's put away in the, in my dad's barn right now. I mean that the Meridian it's such a practical vehicle, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, what more can you ask? I believe it has a heater mm -hmm. in it, has the AT habitat. Yeah, it's it's you know, the get it's up, just get in so and go built. truck, and it's relatively lightweight too. It, I mean, all your sliders. Scoots. Yeah, didn't CBI do your stuff in aluminum? I want to say it's all aluminum. Right? It's super light. It's a really well built truck. I think yeah. it's one of our best built trucks we've ever done. Um, I love my Prospector right now, or it's my daily driver, and uh, that for different reasons, you know, is due to its strengths. If can't you, beat the 200 you, series. I, you, it, I, it's a hard thing to pick. So if you were to leave, if you had to tomorrow, somebody said, play, I'm handing you a million bucks. I need you to drive around the world. You can pick one vehicle, something you currently own or something you could magically make appear the next day. What would oh. you leave in? Anything you wanted. Well, if it was in my fleet, it would be, if I, and I had to drive around the world, yeah. it would be the 200 series. Yeah. 
Um, it's comfy. Yeah. And capable and yeah. global serviceable. Yeah. yeah. There, there's a lot of, it makes, and I'd put a bed in the back. I'd sleep in the bed and I'd scoot. Yep. If I had anything, I really am right now. Uh, I, I'd like to really build a prospector with a four wheel camper in the back. Something like that would be really good, but the diesel platform wouldn't be great for global stuff right now with right the deaf yeah. and all that. So it probably have to go back to some form of gas. You know, you, yeah, I don't know. Spot, it is yeah. a really tough spot. I don't know if, if diesel things weren't a problem, probably look at, uh, at these global X vehicles, the four, sure. What's the, the four door one with the, I could put my family in it and go. Those are kind of cool. Nothing bigger than that. That's already really big. But uh, yeah, I think right now, a four-wheel camper and big long-range tanks and off you go. Go. Awesome. How fun would that be, right? Oh, man. How about you, Matt? I'm going to do question. it in a little way, I think. You got to leave tomorrow. million bucks? And Yeah. Well, you get a yeah. million bucks. And you, you never have to come back. But you <laughs> got to pick a car. You got to leave tomorrow. Yeah. million bucks. So, man, that is a question you know the gladiator would be a would be the reasonable choice but i don't it, it would be like a lotus elise or something <laughs> and, I, and i would just stay at the four seasons you know i mean I, I i've done the camping thing and now everybody's gonna hate me but just something different i mean i think life is just about experiences and i like to do things that are yep. that are drastically different i mean yeah you know I, I think to a certain extent you can you can really isolate yourself from mm -hmm. adventure you know, was it Yvonne Chard adventure is when things start going wrong. You're right. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and I think that remains true. I think, I think you can't, you can't set yourself up for too much success, mm -hmm. whether I'd really take a Lotus, I don't know, but I, I, I think something different. I think a, a Grand Cherokee Trackhawk would be a real interesting one or an SRT8 <laughs> Just or race people randomly just, all over just, the world. Just 707 horsepower. <laughs> what about the Pontiac Aztec with the uh, tent in the back? Okay, so so here's the deal, man. The Pontiac Aztec, uh -huh. very easy to hate on. But it was way ahead of its time. It was time. way ahead of its it time. It was essentially like really the first crossover that we saw. I mean, like you'd gouge your eyes out before you really looked mm -hmm. at it. But when you were in it, like it was an activity. It, it was that first kind of activity vehicle. And I think that that really... I think that was ahead of its time. I think the Nissan Xterra was ahead of its time. Like I wanted one Nissan. So bad. If you're listening, like, come on, man. What? Yeah. Why is there no Xterra <laughs> right now? Um, there's been a lot of vehicles like that. I mean, I know Brady. What? 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 What would you do? What would you drive? So I was walking down the aisle over here. There's this Triumph booth, and there's this Triumph Scrambler 1200 XE. It's like this vintage. Scrambler. Yeah, yeah, that's very Scotty. I would just get on that bike. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even add luggage to it yet. I would just start riding <laughs> and I'd figure it out along Head the way. Head to the Bellstaff store with yeah. your, with your Triumph and then leave. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Poetic. Yeah. And yeah, then I could put it on a plane. I would be out of the United States and into Europe in 48 hours. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But I think if it was a vehicle, I'd be pretty tempted by um, Dave Harriton built a, a regular cab Dodge Ram with a flatbed. I'd be really tempted to do that with mm -hmm. some kind of a, of a camping module or camper on the, on the back. back. How about um, Dave's outpost? Yeah. Outpost Ooh. would be perfect. And it's gas too. So it easily consume fuel around the world. Um, it's actually really nicely done. I, I was able to be in that vehicle across the Altar desert. It's very nicely done. That would be sweet. Yeah. I mean, that's that'd be a, the that's Instagram. a pretty high contender. That'd yeah. be the Instagram. I just want to be Dave Harrington. When I, uh, <laughs> you know. exactly. Who does? <laughs> At least be as smart as David. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, good. Well, so now that you've done all of these things, what what is the next thing for you? We just talked about the idea about going around the world, yeah. but if you could, Clay, I mean, you could start to think about without sharing something that you don't want to share, but like, what is next for you? What is next for X Overland? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. I've really been working hard on that, and uh, since. Since the end of the Pan American series, that's been a, a bit of a battle because that was such a big vision to accomplish. And there was many, many times when we thought we'll never be able to do this this way, but we did. And then it, and then it was finished and it was almost like we outran vision or, you know, it had vision fatigue and at least for myself. So I've been really working hard on that. And I think I'm in the middle of processing what I should do next. Uh, I've learned a lot in the last year had life events happen in, in the last year that, that shaped me as a person. And I, 
I just don't want to ever get stuck in the rut doing something because that's what other people think I should be doing or it's what the industry says I should do or what you did or, last year or yeah. what I did last year. Uh, so I've kind of been going through this big like discovery phase again. Didn't see it coming, but it's definitely there. And now that I'm there, we're working through it. We're talking a lot about it. And I'm, I think I'm on getting towards the back end of the troubling part of that. I'm actually starting to think through good solutions and it, it's amazing how much time it takes. And you just got to go and think sometimes. Yeah. Being so busy doesn't help with all this. Yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm putting myself in a position where I can hopefully make really good decisions coming up. You'll just have to see what we end up doing. Well, you have a lot of fans in the space, a lot of people who respect what you do um, on the industry side and and hundreds of thousands of subscribers that are passionate about your travel. So we're all rooting for you. We're all excited to see um, what you do next. Um, since we're at Overland Expo, what what is the thing that you've seen here that you thought well, that was really cool? What was the one mm. one standout that you really liked? I'm always looking for the innovation. Mm. Where because there's a lot of the same stuff year after year, and where's the innovation? And um, I'm seeing it in like the flatbed stuff. Perhaps going towards more of the Australian things that have been proven down there for a little while. Yeah. We're starting to see that. And I think that's good. Um, I think on the human element being out East here, I have gotten as I've been encouraged a lot by a lot of people walking around today, folks out here are really awesome. And I have heard a lot of the folks saying, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. There's to me interacting I've heard less truck talk and more travel talk here. That's awesome. And I thought that was cool. That's a positive. That's a how, positive. How about you, thing. Matt? What's been like other than your dog, which is awesome? Yeah, um, my dog's my dog's great. Sweet baby um, angel. Sweet angel baby. Angel baby. Dakar. I know I get it right. Please consider adopting a greyhound. By the way, what have I seen? That's super cool. You know, this is the first time I've seen one of the brooder trailers, mm. and uh, they are cool. You know, I think you're right. I think I think the industry is lacking a little bit in innovation right now i have my own my own thoughts on that but um that brooder is is really next level i think as the industry grows it's gonna we need to have those companies i mean even if it's not a, a, a trailer for i mean they're quite expensive i mean yeah. are how, how much are those things? maybe 130 140 yeah i mean it's it's expensive Starting, but you know this yeah. is the camper trailer that that land rover when they're launching the defender for other you know they're they're release photos this is what they towed for their photo shoot Ah. like it is really really cool Mm -hmm. um and there's great attention to detail um yeah i mean there's there's a lot of stuff going around you know i think unfortunately there's a lot of the same stuff going around i think um that's something as an industry we'll have to soon tackle is um you know how many how many roof tents can we have without seeing any uh, any real leap forward in, in quality or innovation how many air compressors can we have that are China and Alibaba? Yeah. I'm starting to see, I'm starting to see a, a, a lot more diversity in the vehicles. Yeah. Which first, is great. When we first started doing overland expos, it was like Tacoma, 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 Land Cruiser, Forerunner, maybe a Land Rover. Yeah. Um, and then um, we we're now starting to see full size trucks. Full size. We're seeing yeah. um, Chevy Colorados. We're seeing, a lot of jeeps um, yeah. the gladiator is a significant the industry has really mm-hmm. taken hold of the gladiator yeah which is this is all extremely positive and that yeah. might be the thing that sparks that innovation to a degree um but i think the thing that i took away so far from this overland expo that i loved the most was all of the classrooms were full in fact yeah, they were fantastic. standing room only and a lot of them had kind of people lined up out the door um which in my mind um you don't really have an industry if you don't have people that want to learn something new and they want to go experience yeah. themselves. Um, and then along with that, there's, there are couples in the training and there's lots there's of pe- couples. There's people with kids in the training. Yeah. There's a uh, lot of kids running around. There's yeah. a lot of that new generation that we if have. If you don't sure have kids and you don't have families, you don't have a future as an industry. And to see that here was extremely encouraging. Yeah. So yeah, I really hope Overland Expo continues that strong training classroom element um, because without it, they're just going to yep. really rapidly turn into a trade show. I mean, I've, 
I guess on the on on the industry side, there's been a lot of talk about you know are they going to continue doing that? I think it's essential. I agree. Yeah, yeah I agree. And too. it's so positive, and it I think it maintains the spirit mm-hmm. of overlanding. I mean, uh, Clay, you've done such a good job of, of recognizing like the founding elements of of overlanding, and you you've always reinforced those ethics, um, which is one of the reason why I believe that your video series is so critical. Is that it doesn't play into the hype too much and it stays very ethical in its undertaking. Um, and I think that that's a responsibility that all of us have in this industry. And which is why I'm so excited about um, this podcast series. I'm so excited about the people who remain the leaders in the organization and, and in the industry as a whole, including X Overland. So but I'm really grateful for your time today. Thank you so much uh, for spending time with us. Matt, you got any more questions for Clay? Mm, I have one more question for you. You didn't have to take a camera with you and you're going to take Rochelle with you. Where would you guys go overlanding? I'll go South America again. I want to do it all over again. That's awesome. there, you know, I, I want to see it again, not having to produce something. And speaking of your badass wife, who's actually way more inspirational than you are. She's well, currently doing you. the rebel rally. Yeah. And as of the first stage, she was, she was in the lead. She was in the lead. I may have heard, Somebody walking by saying she was in second. So I don't know where she's at right I mean, now. She's so experienced with this. I mean, she's been doing the gazelle rally in Morocco since she did three gazelle rallies in Morocco. Yeah. And then one rebel. And then this is her second rebel. Yeah. So this is her first fifth rally. She's definitely somebody that we need to get on, get on the podcast soon. Mm-hmm. So, so isn't it cool that you're sitting in a white van at a trade show, a trade your wife, show. and your wife's out racing, ripping across the Nevada desert somewhere. How right awesome now? is that? That's right? pretty awesome. That is. Pretty I awesome. am so proud of her. Yeah, you should be. Yeah, she's a yeah. wonderful human being. Well, thank you, Clay. Appreciate it, You're Matt. Welcome. Thanks again. Of course. And this wrap the Overland Journal podcast. Thank you all for spending time with us today.